Let's open our Bibles to uh, John's Gospel. And Father, we come before you, Lord. We, um, this chapter that we're looking at this morning, Lord, is, is so critical. God, perhaps one of the most important chapters of the New Testament, certainly one of my favorites. And Lord, your desire is to reach fallen man. Your desire has always been to reach fallen man. Lord, not to leave man in his, in his state, Lord, that we were born in, Lord. But Lord, you desire to give us new life, Lord, through the, the presence of your Holy Spirit, Lord, the new birth, being born again of the Spirit of God. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would open these words to us, open your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're just going to look at the first 21 verses this morning. I hope we can get through all of them. But honestly, of all the chapters in the New Testament, this is one I don't want to just rush through. Um, so we're going to take a little bit, little bit of time. We, last week, we really got into an introduction to this chapter. And so we will see how far we get, and then we'll take communion together. Follow along with me, if you would. It says in... John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 1, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where, it's com- where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? But Jesus answered and said unto him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness." If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son." that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that... The light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. 
But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. That they have been done in God. What an interesting chapter, isn't it? It's an amazing chapter because here Nicodemus, who is a very religious man, a very intelligent man, is completely unaware of what this is really all about. And Jesus is going to speak to him concerning the new birth or being born again. The new birth, being born again, is essential to being a Christian. In fact, if you are not born again, you are not a Christian bound for heaven. You are simply a religious person who hopes that their good deeds somehow outweighs their evil deeds and somehow at the end that those balances will, be, will tilt in the favor of your good deeds. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible has something entirely something different to say. The Spirit of God speaking through Paul in Romans, he says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. That kind of puts it right to the point, doesn't it? If we do not have the Spirit of God indwelling us, we are not a Christian. We are not a Christian bound for heaven. A lot of people can call themselves Christians because they do good deeds, but your good deeds and my good deeds will not get us to heaven. The Lord says that our good deeds are like filthy rags in comparison to what is absolutely necessary, and that is the very atonement, the very blood of Christ that makes us one with God. The holy sacrifice of the blood of Christ is the only way. And we must have the Spirit of God in us. Paul the Apostle understood this very well. In Romans chapter 7, verse 15, he says, For what I am doing I do not understand. And here's Paul, the great, the, the great apostle, talking about this dichotomy of natures within him. He says, For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do... That I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members." And then he says this, and I think all of us have been to this place. I know I've been here many times where I would say, just like the Apostle Paul, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Can anybody understand that? Does anybody, can anybody relate to that? You get to the point where you realize I, I, there's really nothing good within me. There really isn't. Even on my best days. I think, well, I deserve heaven when I'm, everything is going well and I'm having a good day. But the truth of the matter is, no matter how good your day is, 
We were born in sin. We need a new nature. We need to be born again. And this is what Paul is talking about. And he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he answers the question. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ. There's the answer. Who is going to deliver me from the body of death? It is Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. He was very much aware of these two natures. He was born with a sin nature just like you and I, but now we have this new nature within us. If you're born again, there is a new sheriff in town on the, on the altar of your heart. And it's supposed to be that way. I can't imagine living in this life without the Spirit of God indwelling me. I lived enough of my life outside of God, not having the Spirit of God in me. And I can tell you, it didn't turn out very well. I think you can all probably say the same thing. But with the Spirit of God, now I have the witness of God in me, not only revealing things to come, conforming me to his image, giving me the strength and the will. The will is such a nasty rascal in our life. Because we can will to be, to do whatever we want. But when I will to do God's way, God's time, that means he's got control of my life. And believe me, you need to be possessed by the Spirit of God. Doesn't that sound weird? Because when we think in our culture, people being possessed by spirits, evil spirits. But you know what? I want to be possessed by the one. The Holy Spirit of God. Consume me, Lord. Take over all. I mean, shine the light in every dark place. And remove the evil in my heart that is there. And replace it with your spirit. Give me a new heart, God. Isn't that what David cried out in Psalm 51? Created me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. We need that. It's essential to being a Christian. Like Paul said, unless we have the Spirit of God indwelling us, we have no right to call ourselves a Christ one, a Christian. We have no right. We have no strength, no power. Then we're just left to our own devices. And let me tell you, that's not a good thing. Left to my own devices, I know what mess I make of my life. But notice, Jesus has this dialogue now with this very religious man, Nicodemus. Nicodemus, his mean literally means victorious among his people, a conqueror. That's what his name means. And let me suggest to you that this man, even though he was completely without understanding of who Jesus was and what he was supposed to do, And just three and a half, about roughly three years later from this moment that Jesus meets with him, he becomes a completely changed man. He becomes a changed man. He's mentioned three times in the New Testament. The first time we see is this interview that he has with Jesus that we're reading this morning. The second time we read of Nicodemus is in John chapter 7. It says that the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why have you not brought him? In other words, why haven't you arrested Jesus, this troublemaker? And what did the officers answer? They said, no man ever spoke like this man. And then the Pharisees answered them, are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the, or the Pharisees believed in him? In other words, you're not allowed to have your own mind. We think for you, you obey what we say. Does that sound like the world we live in today? It's looking more like that all the time. You have to conform to our image. We don't want you conforming to Christ's image. But are we to obey God or man? You obey God. I'm going to obey Jesus Christ. Amen? There's great joy in obeying Jesus. Because when I obey him, there's blessings for obedience. There is. 
Is it easy? Absolutely not. It's not easy all the time. Sometimes it is, and I'm thankful. But most of the time, it's an uphill battle. But without the Spirit of God, it is nearly impossible. But with the Spirit of God in us, there's nothing in heaven above or earth beneath that can pluck us out of his hand. If you're one of his, he takes care of you. And it's a sealed deal. It's not something you have to continue to to, to kind of work for yourself. Just let the Spirit of God work in you. We will look at that later. But notice he goes in, but, but the crowd, he says, Are you also deceived? The Pharisees said to the officers, Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd does not know the law is accursed. And Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? And they answered and said, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee, which is not true. Jonah was from Gath-Hefer, an area in, uh, in Galilee. But notice, Nicodemus stood up and did the right thing. He was just speaking the truth. We don't judge a man unless we hear him. We're hearing a lot of stuff about him, but until you hear him. But Nicodemus's heart here is warming up to Jesus. He was also instrumental in helping Joseph of Arimathea get Jesus' body down from the cross and prepare him for burial. You remember in John chapter 19 that after Jesus was crucified, it says that Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, Joseph of Arimathea, he asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. Notice, and our friend here, Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. And then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews was to bury. So this Nicodemus, after three years of being around Jesus or being hearing about him, he became a believer in Jesus Christ. He was no longer a timid believer. I don't think he really was ever a timid believer, but I think he was cautiously optimistic. And we see that he was, he had good thoughts toward Jesus initially. He didn't quite understand. But this man, Nicodemus, was part of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the supreme, the highest court of justice in the Supreme Council in ancient Jerusalem. It consisted of 71 members made up of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees would believe pretty much what we hold to. The Sadducees didn't believe in the, uh, the supernatural. They didn't believe in angels. They certainly didn't believe in the resurrection. And it's sort of, it's sort of like the way our government is set up now. But the 71 members made of Pharisees and Sadducees. And remember, the Sanhedrin, they didn't have the authority to do a lot of things. Or they had a lot of authority to do some things. But one thing they couldn't do is sentence somebody to death. The death penalty was something only that the Romans were able to decree. And their method of capital punishment, as you know, is crucifixion, unlike the capital punishment of the Jews, which was stoning. But this is why the Jews had to come to the Sanhedrin, or the Sanhedrin had to go to Pilate to get permission to crucify Jesus. They didn't have the power to crucify him. And Nicodemus was part of this body of men, highly respected men. But notice in verse 2 it says, This man came to Jesus by night. 
and said to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, perhaps for a couple reasons. We know that at this time, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread was happening in Israel, in Jerusalem. The place was bustling with activity. Millions of worshipers, pilgrims from all over the place, coming in to worship. Nicodemus, being a member of the Sanhedrin, was a very, very, very busy man. Very busy man. It could be that he spoke to Jesus by night because his day was completely filled with the tasks of his office, of the things that he did. Or it could be, as some propose, and it's possible, that he was afraid of what his cohorts might think of him fraternizing with Jesus. It could be. But I don't believe that Nicodemus was a coward. I just think he lacked the information, and it took some time for it to wear on him until he finally gave his heart to Christ. And so in this interview, he clearly doesn't know who Jesus is. He's open and curious, unlike the others. But again, after his crucifixion, after Jesus' crucifixion, before his resurrection, Nicodemus was no longer afraid to be associated with Jesus. Because do you understand that for him to go with Joseph of Arimathea and to take the body, that bloodied body, off of the cross publicly, was tantamount to suicide politically and religiously. He was not a silent witness any longer. He was blown in. He made his affection known, and now everybody knew who we stood with. And why is this such a big deal? Because as Jesus, as they took Jesus off the cross, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they were basically disqualifying themselves from serving in the Passover which, according to that time, it was a high Passover, a very significant one, and they would be disqualified from serving in their normal activities. And why is that? Because of this verse right here in Numbers. And they knew this scripture very well. He who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days. Seven days he shall purify himself with the water on the third day and on the seventh day, and then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not be clean. Whoever touches the body of anyone who has died and does not purify himself defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. So those who think that Nicodemus was a coward would see that he would not be a coward any longer once he did that. Everybody would know. He was a marked man now. Even the men that he was in the council with, these 71 other members, these other men who respected each other greatly, Nicodemus would be labeled. He would have a letter, in a sense, placed upon him, a mark. You know how hard that is? Have you been a part of a group of people that you finally get to this place of you got this respect and notoriety and you're you're, you're doing really well, and you're highly respected, and you're in this group of people. They respect each other. They hold each other in high esteem, and everybody exalts them and practically worships them. And then to be one of them and be willing to walk away from it all for the sake of Jesus Christ. How many people have walked away from very prestigious degrees, prestigious jobs, prestigious positions in society because they believed in Jesus. Quite a few. Would to God that there were more. 
but Nicodemus exposed his own misunderstanding of who Jesus was. First, he called him a rabbi or a teacher, which clearly he was, those things. Because he said no one could do these signs unless God was with him. But he failed at this time to understand that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, the Son of God, incarnate in human flesh, foretold by hundreds of years and even a few thousand years of his coming and of his purpose. And we know these scriptures very well in Isaiah. He was the long-awaited Messiah. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the, not just any virgin, but the virgin. Who was that virgin? It was Mary. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. What does it say in Isaiah 9, 6? Unto us a child is born, a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God everlasting father really this baby this son the everlasting father the uh, almighty god oh yeah <laughs> even in daniel in the days of the kings the god of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever Aren't you looking forward to the day when the millennial reign, when when Christ comes back in his second coming and he sets up a thousand year reign and you and I will rule and reign with him, the Bible says. All these things Nicodemus was aware of. And Jesus is the Messiah. The Messiah was equivalent to God in the flesh. Every Jewish person knew that. And Jesus is that person. He's the Messiah. The Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, every other religious cult, they fail to see Jesus Christ as God come in human flesh, as the scriptures have said. And this is critical, folks. This is critical. And this is critical as a part of our faith. Who Jesus is. Who is he? Even within the global Christian church in America and certainly throughout the world, there are different Jesuses being proclaimed from pulpits. If the Jesus you worship allows you to remain in a homosexual relationship, there's a problem. If the Jesus you worship allows you to continue in heterosexual fornication, then you've got a problem. If the Jesus you worship continues to allow you to cheat on your income taxes, if he allows you to abort children, yeah, If the Jesus that you worship says it's okay to do that because it's convenient and I don't want to ruin your life, if that's the Jesus you serve, that is not the Jesus of the Bible. That is a Jesus of man's own making. And if you believe in a Jesus under any of those guises, you are in spiritual trouble, folks. That is not the Jesus of the Bible. And that is critical. It is essential. It is the most important thing you will ever make a decision upon is who is Jesus to you. And see, this is what Nicodemus is thinking. He's he's coming to an understanding. Thank God he was being honest. God doesn't have a problem with honesty. Come to him with your questions. Come to him with your doubts. You don't have to be afraid of God. Come to him and, and speak to him. Get on your knees and humble your hearts and say, Lord, I don't understand. How can this be? That's what Nicodemus is doing. How can I be born again? Can I crawl into my mother's womb again and be born the second time? But Jesus said to him, 
Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Those who have not read the Bible think that this phrase, born again, is something that the Christian church has made up. And it's not true. It comes right here. There are three places in the Bible that speak of this phrase, being born again. We read the one of them in verse 3. We're also going to see it in verse 7. And also in 1 Peter chapter 1. John in, in, in John chapter 3, verse 7, in this very chapter, we're going to get to it. He says, do not marvel that I said you must be born again. You must be born from above. You need a new nature. Your old nature is at enmity with God. You must, you must. Notice, it's not, it's not a question like, it's probably a good idea, Nicodemus. You know, times are hard. You know, it might be, a, it might, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It may not be a good idea. But, you know, I, I think, I feel like it is. It, it, it's like a, it might be a good idea. No, it's you must. It's very emphatic. It's very clear. I know that I needed to be born again because I was destined for hell. I was going down. And I knew it. I love my sin, and I didn't want God to interrupt my playtime. But I'm th- I thank God that He did interrupt my life. You know, I wasn't even looking for Him. Maybe you have the same experience. I wasn't even looking for Him. He just provided another opportunity for me to realize how lost I was. And then once I finally realized it, and He gave me the remedy, which was being born again and confessing my sin and receiving Christ. Oh my! Everything changed in an instant. Everything changed. And I am so glad. I can't tell you how thankful I am. I, you know, I think that when, when we are raptured, when the church is raptured, I bet we're all going to be spending years just groveling at his feet. Not that we need to. Because I'm sure, just like many of the other saints, when we are on our face and completely prostrate before him, He's going to lift up her hand and say, it's okay. I'm going to be so thankful. Going to weep at his feet in thanksgiving. See, that's the Jesus we serve. That's who Jesus is. He's almighty God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another there, and there's the commandment, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again. There it is. Not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. And see, there's the difference. I have an, a corruptible heart and a corruptible body. But Jesus is going to give me the Spirit of God, and he has. And I hope he's done that for all of you as well. Because without which, we cannot call ourselves Christians. But I want to tell you that God loves you. He wants you to have that experience, that relationship with him. Not some kind of interaction where I've got to do this or else God's going to be mad at me. No. He's done everything. The greatest stumbling block of all of history is that he's done everything. All you need to do is come and believe what he has done and believe what he has said. And for the educated mind, boy, that can be a stumbling block. Well, I've got to do something. Yeah, just believe. I've known, believe me, I've been in academia. Spent a long time in college, and it didn't help me one bit in my relationship with Jesus. In fact, I look back, and it was more of a detriment. Not that education is bad, it's not. Getting an education is a good thing. But things aren't like they were. 
many, many years ago. Colleges are very different now. And you better pay attention. Moms and dads, just being honest with you, you better be careful. Born from above, the new birth. When the Spirit of God indwells you, then you are one of Christ's. We looked at that. It doesn't matter how often you've gone to church. It doesn't matter how much money you've spent, how much you've given, how much money. He says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This word is really interesting. And I would encourage you to look up these different words in a Strong's Concordance, to look up the the original language behind these English words, because the New Testament was written in Greek originally. And so we have to go back sometimes, and it really helps clarify some things when you look at the original word and the definition of that word in the original language. Because sometimes when words are translated, we miss the full meaning of it. And this is a good one, because the word see means to see with the eyes or the mind, to perceive or to become acquainted with by experience. And are you perceptive of the kingdom of God? Because what does he say? Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't even perceive it. You're not even aware of it. You're not acquainted with it. You have no idea. You know, when we use words like, have you ever heard a Christian say, well, that was the Lord? When you hear Christians say that, it's because they're perceiving the kingdom of God. They see something that's happened, and they're like, well, that was the Lord. Everybody else calls it a coincidence. But the Bible says that is something else. Well, that was the Lord. You're being very perceptive. That means, that's good news. That means that your heart is in tune with God's heart. Are you discerning to know what God is, when God is moving or what, when God is desiring to do something? Are you aware of how the action or event is either supported by the Lord or not? What we need in the church today is discernment. We do. We need discernment. What does Paul tell us in Corinthians? He says, to the working, uh, concerning spiritual gifts, he says, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits. Yes, discerning of spirits. To know whether that thing, that action, those words, that motive is of God or is it not of God? And to have a discerning of spirits is something we need today. Otherwise, you'll be deceived. Otherwise, you'll be bamboozled into believing something else. In John's uh, letter, he says, Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. (laughs) The Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that Jesus has come in the flesh. The spirit of Antichrist. Same thing with the Mormons. They don't believe what the Bible says about Jesus. So what do we do with that discernment? When you hear legislation that promotes abortion, and I'm going I'm to push a few buttons this morning. When you hear of legislation that promotes abortion, which God hates and silences or cancels pro-life supporters and agendas, you know that the kingdom of God is under attack and that the spirit of Antichrist is at work. Is it true? 
It is. When you hear of big tech like Apple and Google, Twitter and YouTube canceling and silencing conservative voices, you'd better understand that the kingdom of God is being attacked. When the government is going after our God-given constitutional rights and forcing churches not to meet and to refrain from worshiping, and this is happening in the West Coast, folks. It's already happening in Canada. It's happening on the West Coast And it's coming to a theater near us unless we pray and unless we make our voice known again in love. But when the government goes after and keeps us from worshiping, when they fine us exorbitant amounts for failure to comply to their own science, which seems to be changing every day. The CDC recently said everybody can take off their mask. Have you been vaccinated? You can take off your mask. You don't have to worry about social distancing anymore, inside or outside. Ah, but not in good state of New York. We'll keep them under bondage, even if the science says it. Oh, I thought you were a man of science. We'll follow the science. Oh, okay. Pray for our governor. I'm I'm being serious. I'm, I'm angry. I'm frustrated, like probably most of you. But I know that anger and you know, getting all bent about it, which honestly I have, uh, is not the way, right? That's why this main Supreme Court hearing is so important. Let's rise, church. Seriously. If there's ever a time in our history of our country, we need to stand up. We need to be praying. We need to get our faces on the floor and plead with God of heaven who alone can protect and continue to allow us to serve him in the way that we do in this wonderful country of ours. Where are you, men of courage? Do you remember that line? Where are you? Jesus did say the gates of hell won't prevail against the church, but how far are we going to just be silent and let this nonsense continue going on without really seeking fervently and praying to God for help? How far will this cancel culture go in destroying the United States of America? It is destroying it. It's destroying our schools, destroying our colleges and universities. We need to be born again. And we need to be about our Father's business. It's time for the church to begin earnest prayer again. Are we desperate? We ought to be, (laughs) honestly. Just look around. God really responds to desperation. He's responded to it in my own life. When I have been desperate, God has always shown up. When I have been driven to tears, when I have been forced on the ground just in heartache. And I think most of us have this last year. Crushed under many weights. Seeing the things in our country eroding like we've never, ever seen them erode and as quickly as they have. Folks, it's time to wake up. But are we desperate? And see, I know that many of you are because I am. I'm desperate. We live in desperate times. What will it take for the church to rise again in prayer and to shake off her lethargy? That includes me. What's it going to take? But God responds to desperation. And he will not leave us. But we have to come to him.
And we can't just allow the ballot box to be the, you know, the thing that we get results in. I, I believe the most important thing we got to do is pray, pray, pray every single day. Many times, and I even pray when I'm in the car, but I don't close my eyes. And aren't you glad? If you ever see me going on 490 in my Jeep and I close my eyes, honk the horn for heaven's sake. Wake up, Kellogg. I keep my eyes open. You, can, you don't have to close your eyes. Sometimes you've got to do that to keep from being distracted. But I have my eyes wide open. And sometimes I pray out loud. And sometimes I pray quietly within my own heart. But do that, folks. Let's continue to pray. So in verse 4, it says, Nicodemus said to Jesus, How can this be? You know, you, you tell me, Jesus, that unless a man uh, is... Uh, Unless he's born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he crawl into his mother's womb and be born again? The obvious answer is no, you cannot. You can't be born again physically, but you can spiritually. And again, Nicodemus, a very religious man, intelligent. But Jesus was saying something spiritual, not concerning something that was natural. You know, when we look at this dialogue that Jesus has with Nicodemus, it's very similar to what we see in the very next chapter, which we'll get to probably the week after next. And turn with me, if you would, just to John's gospel. It's probably on the same, you're probably open to it already. Let's look at verse 7. Something really interesting here happens um, because we've already read the passage with Nicodemus and Jesus. Now we're going to look at this passage briefly of Jesus with a woman at the well. And it's very interesting because there's a lot of similarities here. In John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, it says, A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? See, at this time, the Samaritans were looked down upon by the Jews. They, were, they considered them half-breeds. It was a very bigoted way that they looked at them. And she's like, not only are you speaking to a, a Samaritan, but Jesus, you're speaking to a woman in public? That's just unheard of. So he's breaking all these norms of the culture. Jesus answered. She says, how do, how do you, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would also ask him, and he would have given you living water. And then the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. So obviously Jesus is not speaking of something physical, is he? He's speaking of something spiritual and he's drawing her like, like reeling in a fish. He's slowly reeling her in and she's slowly getting the idea. And you know, that's so wonderful. That's just the way it is. When I first came to Christ, I had to, be, I had to swallow the hook, and then he slowly just kind of reeled me in. It took some time, and I, my understanding as I got closer to the boat, well, wow, oh, really? Oh, my. And all of a sudden, I'm in the boat, and I'm like, I totally get it now. Thank you for catching me, Lord. 
I'll make you fishers of men, right? That's what he said to his disciples. So she said, but the water that I, or Jesus said, but the water that I shall give him shall become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Not just a physical life, but everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. She still doesn't get it. She's still thinking in the physical and that's okay. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you're with now is not your husband either. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. (laughs) Yeah, and more than a prophet. But see, he's drawing her in. He's drawing her in. And notice the questions. She's not quite getting it. It takes some time. This comforts me because I'm kind of slow like that. It takes me an hour and a half to watch 60 Minutes. I'm not a fast reader either. You know, my wife, she can shred a book in a day, an hour. She can read an entire book from cover to cover, and I'm still on the forward. You know, I'm just, uh, I, I read differently, and, I, and, and it's not like I have reading comprehension. Never mind. It's, I just, I'm slower, okay? And so, is that, a, is that a problem with you guys? I mean. But Jesus said, woman, believe me. Oh, excuse me, I got to go back. She said, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, and we know what we worship. Does this sound familiar to what we just heard about with Nicodemus? You worship what you do not know. We worship, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I, who speak to you, am he. Did Jesus ever say he was God? You better believe it. Here's one of them. She knew exactly what he was talking about. But notice, she had some misunderstandings. She didn't quite get it. She's still thinking in the natural, and Jesus is slowly bringing her in to understanding the bigger picture of who he is and what this is all about. It's interesting because as we look at the Samaritan woman and we look at Nicodemus and we look at these two passages, we see that he was seeking. She was indifferent initially. He was a respected ruler. She was an outcast. He was serious. Nicodemus was, but she was flippant. He was a Jew, but she was a despised Samarian. He was presumably moral, but she was immoral. He was orthodox. She was heterodox. He was very well learned in religious matters, and she was ignorant. Yet in spite of all the differences, they both needed Christ. Do you see how that works? They both had similar things, different backgrounds, different questions, different experiences, but everybody needs to come to the cross. And see, there are those around us, religious people in the world, and see, the Lord loves people. He doesn't hate anyone. In this very chapter, we're going to see the verse that everybody uses. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever will believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God loves people. 
He doesn't hate anybody. Everyone has an opportunity, even even those who are entrenched in cults, even those uh, Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the um, you name it, (laughs) all of them, God loves them. But they have to come to him on his terms, not their own man-made terms. No, they have to come as we do on his terms. Are his terms so grievous? Are his terms unusual? Are his terms like, can't do that? I don't know about you, but do you want to have to work for your salvation? Do you want to have to earn it? Believe me, there's no assurance then, is there? Because if I have to earn it, I'm going to mess it up the same day. Can you follow me? I've tried to earn my salvation, and boy, is that a load. A horrible taskmaster trying to earn your salvation because one day you may be feeling really good and you're going to blow it the next and everything you did the previous day, gone. But see, that's not the way it is. Faith in Christ, very simple, profound. Because some, as Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3, verse 5, some have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And from such people turn away. They claim to be religious, doing their own thing, working their way out, trying to do their own thing. And God says, well, I've done everything for you. All you've got to do is believe and receive me into your heart and be born again. That's all you've got to do. And because I'm a lazy person, (laughs) I'm not really lazy, but because I'd rather not have to work for it, I'll gladly receive that free gift. It was free to me, but it cost him everything, right? So Nicodemus, he was a very smart guy, but don't be fooled by people who are smart. Who have fancy degrees and letters after their name. And again, it's not wrong to have a degree. It's not wrong to have letters after your name. But where is your heart in it? If you're totally relying upon your, your, your own schooling, you got a problem. Because the gospel of Christ will confound you. It's a stumbling block to those who are smart and, and, and wise in their own eyes. Isn't that what the Bible tells us? Again, there's nothing wrong. Let me say that again. There is nothing wrong with education. There's nothing wrong with getting a Ph.D. or a master's degree. But where is your heart with that degree? Oftentimes, I think the more learned a person is, the greater their difficulty in receiving the simplicity of the gospel is. So what's it going to be, Professor? Are you going to continue to climb the ivory tower, only to realize that everyone at the top of that ivory tower is just as miserable with their life as you are? You're miserable because your life is empty and without meaning, You've embraced the evolutionary model and all the liberal nonsense that is being forced down your throat and into your mind. And you get to that ivory tower and realize that you're washed up. Will you come to Christ? The Lord is calling you today. Will you be courageous and bold? And escape the fires of hell for eternity. That's a hard message, isn't it? But it's the truth.
Verse 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There is no admittance in the kingdom of God unless you are born again. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. See, Jesus defines here the difference between natural birth and spiritual birth. It's very clear here, I believe. See, we are all born of water when we were born and conceived in the womb, and we were surrounded by that amniotic fluid. You remember that? Because once that water breaks, the baby's coming. (laughs) Right, ladies? I remember, well, actually, it's called a Holy Spirit check. No, nothing, it's just nothing, uh, whatever. Anyway, here we go. So, we were all born of water. We were all born of water. But that's not good enough. We're born with a, a, a nature that is opposed to God. We looked at that last week. But just as we are born of water to come into the earth, we must be born of the Spirit to make it to the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again. Are you born again? You're going to have another opportunity today after the service. Come on up. I won't embarrass anybody, although I, there's something about having, even right now, just having an altar call. <laughs> because sometimes I think, you know, if you've got the guts to come down in front of everybody, the Lord has got your attention. It's the way it happened with me. I think I got born again again a couple times. I was so excited about the Lord. I was born again. I knew it. But when I went to church with a, with a friend of mine back in Florida many years ago, and the, and the preacher had an altar call, I was already born again. But I was so excited, I went down again just for a double dip. I'm like, you know, if there's any possibility that I'm not completely yours, God, today's going to be the day. I ran down. I was probably the first one down there. It looked like a dog waiting for a bone, you know. Just go ahead and hit me. (laughs) Hit me, Lord. But notice what Jesus has done. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Give your heart to Christ today. Be born again. Be born again. For as many as received him in John 1... To them he gave the right, notice, the right to become children of God. It's not only a right, it's a privilege, but I love how the Bible says it's your right. God gives you that right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Notice, who are born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh. Your parents had nothing to do with it. God called you into the world and your parents just happened to be there. (laughs) Not of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. Your life has a wonderful purpose, and God's got a wonderful plan for your life. Are you discovering what it is? Do you know what it is? Do you want to know what it is? When somebody told me that, I was so blown away. I'm like, are you kidding? God loves me. He's got a plan for my life. And I remember the guy who led me to the Lord, his name's Orlando, and he says, Rob, God has a plan for your life. And I had no idea what that plan was. I'm still seeing it come to fruition. He's got a plan. He's working it out. Do you, have a, you know God has a plan for your life? What a joy it is to figure it out and to walk in it. What an awesome privilege it is. What a joy it is to serve. You know, you think about to serve the President of the United States would be a great joy. 
And you even get paid for it. Hallelujah. But to serve the king of kings, the one who made that president, the one who made everything, you get to serve him. And Lord, I'll do it for nothing. If I had to do it, I did it for nothing for a while. And I'll, you know, if I had to do it again, I'd do it for nothing. What a joy it is to serve Jesus. I like what he said in Jeremiah 1.5. He said to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. That's how great God's searching is. He, he, before you're even conceived in the womb, he's already, he knew you. He knew you and I. He knew what you were going to do. He already had it in his heart and his mind. And he's like, oh, I can't wait for Rob to be born. He's going to really mess things up. But my grace is going to be sufficient, and it's going to be in his life, and people are going to see it, right? And they're going to glorify who? Him? No. They're going to glorify Jesus. I love what it says in Psalm 139. Uh, David, you formed me in my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame or my bones was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance, yet being unformed. And in your book, they all were written. Before I was even conceived, in your book, they were all written. Isn't that a scary and wonderful thought? I love that. I love that. When as yet there were none of them. Is that how great you are, God? Is that what this new birth is all about? Is my birth, is is me being here in church today a coincidence? No, it's not a coincidence. For you who are here, for those who are watching online, and later those who are going to hear on the radio, they are hearing it because God wants them to hear it. Because it is his word. Amen? That is so exciting. That's so exciting. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And we're just going to spend a few moments here, and then we're going to take communion together. But before we do, I just want to share with you this one final thing. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The indwelling Spirit that we receive at conversion is the down payment. When you go to buy a car, most people put a down payment on it, and then they pay payments over time. And then at some point, they go back. In our country, it's different. You can actually drive the car before you finish paying for it. But in other countries, you've got to pay for it before you get it. You make payments, you make payments, you put the earnest, the down payment on it, and then at some point you come for that purchase possession now. You take it to yourself. It's yours now, physically. You drive away with it and get a ticket on the way home, right? But the thing is, is that's what the Spirit of God, when we receive Christ, when we're born again, born from above, the earnest is placed within us. Thank God for that. You're one of his children. Nothing can take that from you. God doesn't give it and take it away. It's there. He is there. And he will stay with you forever. And then you walk the life. And then there's coming a time, the Bible tells us, that he's going to come back for the church. And he will then look down upon the individual who the Spirit of God is in and say, that one's mine, that one's mine, that one's mine, that one's mine. And he says, that one's mine. And he goes, I'm going to redeem your body now. I'm going to take you completely. I'm going to raise you up. You're going to be made incorruptible. In a twinkling of an eye, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 
We are all going to be snatched up together, transformed. This body, not my old shell laying on the floor. No, it's going to be transformed just like Jesus' body, and I'll be caught up together with him. I will finally be redeemed. It'll be done. That's what it's talking about. What does it tell us in Ephesians? It talks about being sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. In Ephesians 1, being sealed, a seal is something that is irrecoverable. Once it's done, it's done. It's it's not something that is taken back. And it says the spirit of promise, who is, notice, the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Amen? (laughs) I love that. So we're given this inheritance this earnest of our salvation, the Spirit of God in us. And then Paul tells us in Corinthians, and we'll we'll read this and then we'll get right into communion. Paul tells us that we're going to receive a new body. It says there are also celestial bodies, excuse me, and terrestrial bodies. Thank you, Pollen. This weather is really nice, but unfortunately it has, yields other problems. He said there is a celestial body and a terrestrial body. You and I have a terrestrial body. It's made of the earth, right? It tells us that in Genesis. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Jesus, when he rose from the grave, received his resurrected body. He was resurrected. That's why he was a little bit different than... That's why they had a little bit of a hard time recognizing him, I believe. He received a new body, but still with the scars. And it says here that also, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, which we all are, but it's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body, and so it is written The first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit, speaking of Jesus Christ. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust, which we all are, but the second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also those who are made of dust, and as is the heavenly man, so also those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. And that is at the rapture of the church. But we, those who are going to be raptured, are only going to be those who are born again, that have that spirit, that earnest that in, of, of our inheritance indwelling in them. Does that make sense? That's like your, your ticket of admittance. For the rapture is the Spirit of God in you. When the rapture occurs, if I don't have the Spirit of God in me, I am passed over. And is that God's fault? No, it's my fault. It's my fault. It is all my fault. No one will be able to stand before God and say, I didn't have an opportunity. I had so many people telling me about Jesus until I was 24 years old when I finally gave it up. How important is it for us to be vocal about our faith, too? To tell people about Jesus. And don't, be, don't forget to tell them the bad news. We don't like telling that. We like to tell the good news. Tell them the good news after the bad news. That'll make the good news sound really good because you've heard the bad news. Follow me? Don't remove the teeth from the gospel. If I'm not sick, then I have no need of a physician. 
But because I'm a sinner, I need Christ. And I need to be born again. I need it. Boy, having communion with the Lord is really wonderful, isn't it? You know, in the Middle East, and and I think it's true even in our Western culture as well, when we have a meal, it is a very intimate thing. When you invite somebody over for dinner, it is basically an invitation saying, we love you. Otherwise, we wouldn't have invited you. And if we really love you, we'll have steak and potatoes and carrot cake afterwards. No, but it is a, it's a big deal in, in, in our culture, but especially in the Middle Eastern culture. And as Jesus in that room, that upper room, they passed that bread around and they just tore a piece off and they handed it to the next person. And then they passed around the chalice of wine and they drank of that and the symbolism of that. Jesus said this was to be done in remembrance of me. We don't sacrifice the Lord afresh when we take communion. We acknowledge what he has already done. Big difference, right? And so we have communion with God. If you could have communion with anybody in the world, who would you pick? I'd pick Jesus. And you know what? He is so blessed to have communion with you. Because when you, take in that, when you take in that nourishment, when you take in the bread and the cup, you're basically saying, what you did on the cross, Jesus, everything that that meant, spiritually and physically, everything, the whole thing, I take it in. And Lord, now that it's within me, work it out. Right? I take it in because I believe it. And if I really believe it, it's going to manifest itself. In my outward speech, in my actions things I do, my motives. It's like a seed, isn't it? The Spirit of God. It's like a seed that's placed within you. Jesus says, work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And that's what we do. Let's stand and let's pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, chapter before us today. It is a, a challenging chapter but very simple and yet profound at the same time. Lord, how we thank you for the Spirit of God. Lord, we invite you, and I I pray that for every person here, Lord, that there'd be no one in this room that would leave this building this morning without having uh, an encounter with you. Lord, that every soul would bow the knee because you're a good God. And Lord, you've done so many wonderful things. And Lord, you've got so many other wonderful things yet in store for us. They are innumerable to to count. Lord, we will spend an eternity, millions of years, millions of years, and we will still be in complete and utter dependence and in complete and utter awe of who you are. How we thank you for that, Lord. Get a hold of us today. Get a hold of our attention, everything in us, Lord. And for those of us who do know you, Lord, renew and restore us. Pour out your spirit upon us, Lord. Give us boldness. Give us assurance and confidence. And give us everything that we need to live in this world that we live in now. We count on you, Lord. We must. We must be born again. And we must have everything you have for us. 
We are children who are very needy, God. I will say that I am, and I need everything and anything you want to give me. And I pray that not only for me, you pour it out on my brothers and sisters as well. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask this and praise. Amen. Amen. God bless you.